Dear Mr. Hammond. Dear Miss Smith. Dear Mr. Goldberg, thank you for your thank recent you for application, your application to the role of assistant producer. We're currently reviewing all applications and we'll get, get back, back to you as soon as we can. You can browse other vacancies at blah, 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 Due to the high volume of applications, we're writing to inform you that unfortunately we won't be taking your application any further. Welcome to Jobs Board, the job hunting podcast that tries to ride the crest of the second wave, but is more actually drowning in a sea of rejection emails. My name's Ollie Hammett. My name's George Goldberg. And I'm Brownie Smith. Hello, everybody. Nice to hear you all. I uh, hope we're doing all right. This week on the podcast, we have a very special episode with a freelancing focus. We've been chatting to the podcast Freelancing for Journalists to get their top tips and to take ours and your questions to them. We're also going to be having a little look at their CVs just to see how they get on. And without further ado, I think we'd better get stuck in and hear from them about what they do. Okay, here we are, the Jobs Board Freelancing for Journalists dual cast in what I believe is a world first in job hunting podcasts. <laughs> um, we're Jobs Board uh, repping and we're here today with the Freelancing for Journalists podcast. How are you doing, guys? Good, good. Hello. <laughs> yes, we're very well, thank you. I'm uh, one half of Freelancing for Journalists and I'm Emma Wilkinson and I am specialise in health and medicine reporting. And I'm Lily Cantor and I'm a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And together we are Freelancing for Journalists, which is a book, a podcast series, training resource, Facebook community, uh, newsletter, um, basically anything to do with freelancing. We're your people. Yeah, very impressive and diverse podcast portfolio there that we can only aspire to one day. So we're here today to ask our questions and your questions to our freelancing gurus on some top tips to make yourself a fully polished and employable freelance journalist. So the first topic we're going to get on to is branding. Yes, so all about trying to sell yourself, getting your, your, your foot in the door uh, firstly, and making sure it's consistent, whether that's a portfolio website, whether that's your LinkedIn or your CV. These are all assets that you need to make sure are all looking shiny and, and great for when, when you're trying to look for freelancing. So, uh, Lily, if we can first touch on uh, portfolio websites, if we may, what type of things have you seen in your experience that works well as a portfolio website? Yes, yeah, so I think the most important thing really is for um, anyone who wants to get into journalism is to actually have a website and a website where they own the domain name themselves, um, which is quite straightforward to get. It's not expensive. Um, and that could be a WordPress site, um, could pay a bit more and get um, something like Squarespace, obviously lots of platforms like Wix and Weebly. Um, there are also um, sort of portfolio platforms like um, Journo Portfolio, Clippings Me, 
um, all three. Um, some are paid, some are free. And the most important thing, like I say, is to have some kind of website or portfolio where you are showcasing your work. It doesn't have to be something that's been um, published or broadcast by a professional media organisation. It can be work that you've done yourself or during your course, but it's just showing examples of your your style, um, you know, what your reporting style is like, what your writing style is like, examples of your work. It's really important, especially if you haven't got a lot of cuttings, that future employers or someone who wants to commission you can actually see what you can do. And the best place to do that is on a one-stop shop website. Quite often people rely on LinkedIn, um, but a lot of journalists are not that au fait with LinkedIn. <clears throat> That's why it's so important to have a website. You know That needs to have a bit about you, but the main thing is your work. That needs to be front and centre on the website. And how would you recommend structuring your display of your work? Would you do it around themes or whether it's just based on employer and how recent it is? How would you recommend laying that up? I think it's about giving prominence to, I think, the kind of most impressive piece of work. So if you if you have had something published um, in the mainstream media, then that's going to be impressive. So that needs to be very clear. Um, but if you've, say, done something maybe on an unusual topic or something controversial that maybe you're quite you know pleased with then it's kind of making the most of that the worst thing really is to have a load of posts that perhaps look like blog posts but actually they're your published work and we've seen some websites like that in the past where students have actually had stuff published in the times and the guardians but the way they've presented it on their website they just look like blog posts so if you do have stuff that you know is in the mainstream media then it's so important to flag that up on your website um really really clearly I think that's the most important thing and so in that instance that um you recognized that this was a great piece of work but it looked like a blog post I'm I'm presuming in this instance because the times is behind a paywall that's because they've just simply copied and pasted it how would you recommend kind of displaying it a bit more that this was on the times would you well, think taking a screenshot is that readability enough for someone well, looking think, on a website well I think with this one um it didn't even say it was in the times <laughs> ah. um, so you know uh, it was only kind of when I went and looked in more detail that I I kind of I can't remember if I like googled it or if it was like right down the bottom but it wasn't certainly it didn't say at the top this they is my selling the themselves time. yeah definitely so the way I do it on my website is I have it separated into different sections so I have my money my health my lifestyle and I have reviews as different pages and my, then my heading for each post will be say metro um colon and then the headline of the story or guardian or times whatever it is so it's very very clear where these have been published so it's as simple as just the headline that you give that post um can really signal where that particular work has has been published I think it's just simple things like that um that you can do and in terms of now you've got this great portfolio website 
how would you demonstrate that work on something that's a bit more static, such as your your CV? The key thing is to hyperlink your CV. So to have um, certain keywords hyperlinked, so that could take you to your website, but also to specific pages or posts on your website. Um, And then that makes it very easy for an employer to just with one click look through to your website. That's probably the best way to do it. Because the one thing that you said that you've seen in your experiences when you were recruiting people, that people were putting down full URLs down on their CVs rather than just hyperlinking. Yeah, yeah, there was quite a lot of that. Um, or not putting in links at all. So sort of saying, you know, I've I've had work published in The Guardian and then not even giving me a headline or a link through to it. So that's a really missed opportunity. Um, and going back to your point before about paywalls, um, that is a tricky one. But I think even if you can click through to the paywall version and it's got your byline on it, you know, people will know that you have, you know, what you say is true. You have been published um, in that publication. Um, it's a little bit dodgy with screen grabs. Um there's all sorts of clamping down on that now and, and news organisations going after people. Um, so it's better to have links than screen grabs or PDFs because um, there is this organisation now whose job is to solely try and get money from people who um, basically use screen grabs or PDFs uh, on their website. I understand copyright and all of that. So yeah. my, my one last question then is in terms of branding is how do you make this all very cohesive on that when you're looking at um, a portfolio website or maybe your LinkedIn to a certain extent and your cover letter and CV, how do you all kind of make it all come together as if, yes, that's all from one person? This is this is the same person on the same platform and the same medium. Yeah, so the key thing is to have consistent messaging across um, all your presences online. So, you know, if you've got Twitter, LinkedIn, um, your website um any other social media that you're using professionally um use the same image of yourself so that people know that it's the same person that they're looking at use the same sort of wording in your profile um make sure you're cross-linking between your twitter and your website and your linkedin so that they're all interconnected you know use the same colors if you can use the same header images it's just having that kind of consistent branding. And by branding, we just mean you are the brand as, as a person, you and your name. So it's just making sure all of those different places where you are online match up and look the same. I mean, one thing that I would just say on websites is um, we often get students posting examples of their websites in our Facebook community. And quite often the homepage is a big all about me kind of thing. And you have to click quite a few times to find examples of work you need to kind of switch that around and like Lily said put the examples of the work first because that's what editors are interested in yeah so I'm guessing they're all time poor and they 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 need a, a good excuse not to click the x button on their browser rather than go through right to their work yeah, yeah. you've got to make it really easy for them this is great right next up is Bryony has a couple of questions on finding some opportunities Yes, yeah, so you've, you've got to the stage where you've obviously created a portfolio, you've got your socials up and running. How do you then make the step to find opportunities within broadcast or, or newspapers or magazines, anything like that? Any top tips? 
Yeah, so there's there are lots of different ways that you can use to find freelance opportunities. There's no kind of one way of doing it. Um, you have to be on Twitter. Lots of commissioning editors will post on Twitter when they are looking for freelance shifts or when they are commissioning articles on a specific topic. Um, and obviously that's kind of a really fast turnaround. You need to be spotting those opportunities. Um, use search terms to look for them actively. You can set up uh, kind of, you know, something like TweetDeck to do that and kind of have those lists um, going so that you don't miss any of those opportunities that that go by. Um, the same for freelance groups. There are a lot of um, journalism groups on Facebook and a lot of commissioning editors are on Facebook. And so they will post in those journalism groups um, you know that they are looking for uh, shifts or they're looking for um, opinion articles this week on a certain topic or they're looking to commission the next um, issue of the magazine and the, you know these are the kind of things they're interested in or news stories it you know those kind of things come up all the time but you've got to be in those groups. I've got a question from one of our listeners and it's about trying to get in the good books with the person that's going to give you the shifts. Okay. Hello, uh, my name is Raul Son, and my question is, when you're trying to get into the good books of an organisation um, for some freelance shifts, what are some generally good strategies? Um, what makes you their go-to guy or girl? Um, to be flexible and be reliable. So if you say you're, doing, you're going to do a shift or do a piece of work that you do it and you've done it on time and you've met all the deadlines, um, to... Uh, go above and beyond so problem solve if you come across kind of an issue or a problem find a solution um I know an editor who kind of tells me this all the time with kind of trainees that they have that they kind of give up if there's a new story they're working on and um, they've been told to work on and it doesn't quite work out or they can't interview the person that they've been asked to that then that's it there's no kind of effort to try and find an alternative so if you can do that kind of problem solving go those extra steps and show that you you know you can deliver on what's been asked that's all that's all that any kind of editor is uh or news desk or you know whoever it is you're working for that's all they're looking for they want to know that they can rely on you and that they don't have to hold your hand um constantly and that you're going to kind of give what you've been asked to deliver yeah and I would say on that it's communication is key if if someone you know send you an email asking you to do something you need to respond straight away <clears throat> um and I, I think it's something that we've noticed with some people you know over, over the last year we've had different people doing work experience for us and the ones that stand out are the ones that you know respond <laughs> it's amazing how you know a week can go by after you've you've sent an email to someone asking them to do something and you don't hear anything um you know, it's it's a fast-paced world, journalism, um, so you need to respond quickly and, and you know, communicate quickly. Um, and as Emma says, it's about having that initiative as well, not just kind of sitting there waiting to be told what to do, um, coming up with your own story ideas, coming up with different people to interview if, if your interviewees fall through um, and just kind of, showing that you've got a good new sense um and you're not 
just kind of sitting there waiting for something to happen. Now, um, a lot of the work at the moment is work from home, which in some respects can mean that you can actually say yes to more opportunities because you're not having to travel um, back and forth to the place, especially if they're you know, not where you live. But the fact that you're working from home means that whoever the person is that is likely to give the shifts or the editor you're probably not unless you're having zoom calls probably not seeing their face so how do you know you might be doing an excellent job working really hard but how do you make yourself stick in their mind I think asking for feedback is really important and I I don't think people do it enough and I, I think that in itself um will make you stand out um because I think that that's quite an impressive thing to kind of say look you know can you tell me how I'm getting on um, and be prepared to kind of take criticism on board and <clears throat> and to act on any feedback that you're given? Um, and I think if you can kind of show that you're really keen to learn, you want feedback, you want to build on that feedback, um, that is going to make you stand out. And it's just doing a good job at the end of the day. If you are delivering good stories, you're delivering on time, you're communicating well, um, you're going to be remembered but if you're someone that kind of just sits back um, and kind of um, doesn't you know you're kind of not communicating well or, or not delivering those stories or waiting for things to happen then you're kind of going to get forgotten about so you you do need to be up there sort of in in people's faces and quite often these shifts will have um, some kind of central group where they communicate like a slack group so you know, you can be on the Slack group um, commenting on stuff that other people are doing, helping them out with perhaps um, something that you've seen that's relevant and linked to something, um, kind of joining in if there's a bit of office banter. Um, <laughs> so, you know, obviously not being that really irritating person that is kind of trying too hard, but kind of joining in, um, you know, as and when you kind of feel as appropriate. Yeah, kind of just being present, I think. Um, even on email, just, you know, as we mentioned before, just responding really quickly, you know, you'll get remembered for, for being on the ball. So don't be annoying, but be persistent. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fine exactly. line. It's, it's a fine line. <laughs> um, great. I would say there are some other ways um, in which you can find freelance work. Emma um, talked about a few of them. Um, the other things are a lot of newsletters out there now that are free to subscribe to and they actually have freelance listings um, journal resources has got one Sean Meads has got one um, there's one called write at home which is a paid for one but they have loads of listings on there um, for freelance opportunities they, they've got two newsletters a week so sign up to all of those as well. And don't be afraid to cold pitch to editors. If you've got an idea for a cracking story, um, then, you know, just pitch away. Yeah. And some freelance opportunities are kind of uh, advertised as jobs as well. So, you know, checking on LinkedIn and those usual sources. Yeah. In, yeah. Indeed. Media Beans, Media R, they quite often advertise for freelance shifts or even just regular freelance work. Another way that you can create opportunities for yourself is by pitching. So how does one approach pitching? 
Yeah, so pitching is a really good way of building up a portfolio, but there are, it is quite a fine art, I would say. Um, <laughs> so first of all, you need to find who you need to pitch to. And we, we talked earlier about um, editors putting calls for pitches out and, and also um, newsletters listing things. Um, or you can find editors details online which can take quite a bit of hunting down um but once you've identified a person who commissions content um you need to send them a pitch and a pitch is basically a summary of the story but in a way that is enticing for the editor so it will outline this is the story i'm proposing to put together um these are the people i'm going to interview these are the main um, hooks of the article, the main themes. Um, these are the experts. These are the case studies. And then a tiny little bit um, explaining who you are with perhaps some links to your work elsewhere. And it needs to be very brief. So we're talking really no more than three or four lines. Um, it oh, needs, wow. Yeah, they're short. They're really short. Unless it's, um, you know, a long read and then they expect you to do a very very detailed proposal but most pitches you know they're really really short um bullet points are fine to use as well um and your subject in in the email might be something like pitch colon and then a suggested headline um so yeah it's just really a way of introducing an idea to an editor and then if they're interested they'll come back to you um, and they may ask you for more information. Um, and then at that point, you can go into more detail. Um, and there are examples of pitches um, in various different places. Journal Resources have got examples on their website. And also they have a list of um, places that have pitching guidelines. So a lot of organisations now tell you exactly how they want you to pitch. But it's pretty much as I described. There's always... Um horror stories of you having this amazing idea you sending it off and then someone else stealing the idea from you have you had any experience of that and and to stop that happening do you think the real key to it is making yourself indispensable from that story so either you having access somewhere or a great um, case study that you've built a relationship with that they'll only sort of deal with you do you think that's the key to stopping that happening yeah definitely we get asked this a lot and actually I think it's very rare it does happen um I mean but it's never happened to Emma or I um and we but know very few people that it's actually happened to um but I think, yeah, like you say, there are ways and means of preventing it from happening. And the key thing is if you have got a really good case study is you don't give their name away, basically. You don't, in that pitch, say, you know, their name and where they are so that it's easy to track them down. Um, you can change their name or um, describe them in another way. Um, so, yeah, don't give away the finer detail, but give enough information that it you know that it's still enticing and and that in that way they can't really steal your idea yeah and if you've got photos and things send a low res version that they can't use that sort of thing but yeah i mean i think the worry of that happening is more common than it actually happening if that makes sense yeah definitely and the other thing which is a big no-no 
um, is do not attach the written article. And I know it's really tempting if you've already written something or put something together at university to attach that. Um, but that just annoys editors so much um, because they want to work with you on the story and they want to develop you, develop it with you and, and they'll have their own input they want to put into it. So unless they specifically are looking for drafts, which occasionally happens, but otherwise it's just that brief pitch that they're looking for. Just before we move on, I had a question for you guys about pitching, uh, especially just about freelancing in general actually uh i'm somebody who likes to work a lot with other people and i don't really like to work by myself which i assume you do quite a lot of in freelance if you're responsible for your own branding and getting your own work and i uh often i can sort of get too in my own head and too worried and Bryony just made a point about being worried that people are going to steal your ideas from you etc what tips do you guys have to sort of deal with that and to have maybe more self-confidence in your own brand? Yeah, so I mean, this is something we get asked about a lot as well. We did actually do an episode of our podcast on imposter syndrome that turned out to be one of the most popular. I think we really kind of touched a nerve with that we're all just kind of sat at home um, panicking about if we're doing the right thing or, you know, if we're getting enough work or all that kind of stuff. I think there are a lot of freelancing communities out there there's our Facebook community, but there are others. There are kind of Slack groups. If you connect with other journalists and others kind of in the same boat as you, that's so, so helpful when you realise that it's not just you that's chasing this invoice or that you have sent 10 pitches this week and you haven't heard anything. And everybody else says, yeah, that's us too. And you realise it's totally normal. and You're not doing anything wrong. Um, really, really great sources of you know advice and support and freelancers are actually all really supportive of each other you kind of might think that we're all competing against each other but that's not been my experience I've kind of passed on work to other freelancers they've done that to me so being part of those communities I think and not trying to and using that as a way to overcome that isolation is really you know important and we're kind of at the moment we're all working at home on our own so you do find those ways don't you you set up whatsapp groups and zooms and you find those other ways to connect with people and and freelancing is just the same there's been a real shift in the last probably year or two all of these kind of communities have been sprouting up on facebook and slack and whatsapp um and there's a real kind of push to support one another particularly around pay but it's created this community where you know people support each other when they have different dilemmas I mean I posted the other day on our group um a sort of personal dilemma about some work I was doing and whether I should drop it or not um and I you know loads of people responded straight away giving kind of their support and their opinion and it did actually help me to make a decision so yeah it's it's very different from being in the newsroom which it can be a lot more cutthroat actually and people sort of fighting for exclusives uh i want to move it on and ask you know if you're an editor and you're select you know you get hundreds of messages suddenly on twitter as soon as you've posted something what are the sort of three real sort of bugbears or things that really grind your gears about applications from freelancers and what can our listeners do to not make those mistakes if they have specified a certain way to get in touch with them and we are only looking for ideas on this, do that. If they say, don't contact me here, email me, do that. Because you'd be amazed how many people just ignore that bit. 
and do their own thing and you're immediately just going to get discounted I think like Emma says it's about how you get in contact with people get in contact with them the way they ask so if they ask for you to email them email them don't direct message them get their name right I mean that's like number one kind of rule is make sure you spell their name right and make sure you proofread any um, communication with them um, and yeah just give them the information that they want so if they've asked for a cv attach a cv if they've asked for a brief cover email or cover letter then make sure you do that it's amazing how how many people don't actually read the criteria um, and just kind of send what they want or they send um they send a message and it's for the wrong job you know that they, they obviously don't know what they're applying for um so d- I guess take your time and do your due diligence that you understand what is being asked of you and then just follow it through. I think that's what irritates editors the most is when they get stuff they haven't asked for or they don't get the things they have asked for. And um, flipping it around, what uh, what do you think are some things that make somebody say, you know, immediately say, yes, I'm really impressed by that and I want to take them on? I think people that are able to be succinct is really really helpful um if they can get to the point very quickly but at the same time can show that they've got the relevant expertise so that's where hyperlinking words can be really helpful so if they're describing an area of expertise and then they've can link through to examples where they've covered those particular stories before um in you know just a few sentences i think that's going to be impressive and things like the branding so just like having an email signature um that has your name links to your social links to your website um you know just looking professional I think that really helps as well I had to look at around 70 CVs for a internship a position that I was at I advertised for um there were a lot of people who made some of these really common mistakes they hadn't attached their cv they were applying for the wrong thing they waffled on and on in their um, cover email um they had spelling mistakes spelt my name wrong um you know and the 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 people that got shortlisted um had kind of got to the point they'd linked to work they clearly had a brand they you know their social media was impressive it was easy to click through to it's kind of matching up all those those different elements yeah I guess accessibility is a big thing if you can just immediately click on something and go oh yeah there's all their work and I can look at it in a matter of seconds yeah and if you're applying for a journalism position whether it's freelance or a job or whatever if they have to wade through loads of waffle in your email or cover letter to get to the point their, their immediate thought is, well, this person isn't good at journalism because it's kind of the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. You, you, you know, in that initial interaction with you, you need to be showing that skill, that journalistic skill of being able to get straight to the point and sum up exactly what you need to say. That's really interesting because I've always thought of it, uh, I've always tried to strike a balance in a cover letter between getting to the point, as you say, but also wanting to stand out and not just saying, you know, I am a recently qualified journalist, blah, blah, blah. It just seems a bit samey. Um, have you have you ever, have you managed to sort of see any emails that really hit 
Yeah, but, I mean, the no. guy that I actually employed for my internship, his cover email um, had a bit of personality in it. So he, I was looking for someone who could work with me on, a, on an FOI investigation. And he had just included in there that a couple of um, investigations he'd done and how he was good with figures because he'd worked for I can't remember what it was but he'd worked for some company that did a lot of number crunching and that he was a bit of a geek around numbers um, but he you know he put links into what he was referring to and he kind of made the point that he loves nothing better than sitting down with a spreadsheet he had a, <laughs> yeah he had, but he had a bit of personality in there but he had the relevant links and it it just made me think he's got a bit something about him um and again it's that fine line between coming across as kind of cocky um and you know mm. mildly amusing um you, you've got to strike the right balance but <laughs> you know that's what what your friends yeah. are for you know good friends should be able to tell you whether you've got the balance right there okay we've got a, another question from a listener so this time we've got a little feature we're calling listener's dilemma Hey, I'm Joe. I studied journalism too. It's really been tough for me to get a job since I graduated in July. Um, but while I'm waiting, I've been doing freelance work for a website. And a few weeks ago, I started an internship with the radio station, but I had to stop because of the lockdown. Just to keep myself engaged and showcase my skills, I've been pitching stories as well. I've been doing this via emails to editors. But as with some of my job applications, I don't get any response. Since most editors are on Twitter, I've been wondering if it's okay to tag them on there to get their attention or kind of remind them to read their emails. I don't know if that's professional. Ooh. I think we're both going to go, no, no, <laughs> stay away. No. Don't no. at the editors. I can't think of anything worse to do. <laughs> Has that crossed the line from no longer persistent but annoying? <laughs> well, it's publicly shaming them, isn't it? I mean, no, just no. Just send them an email. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe I'm not. I don't want to speak for Joe here, but it seems his frustration may be that you know that just sending an email means you're just sending them another thing that they can. Ignore. Yeah, I mean, it's probably what we should say at this point is it's very, very normal to not hear back from editors on pitching. That happens to Lily and I, and we're kind of really experienced. And it happens to us with editors that we work with all the time. All so, the time. Yeah, all the time. So they do they do expect you to kind of send a few. I would say if you're sending something to an editor, it's a cold pitch for the first time. Chasing about three times is about right, if you've not heard anything before moving on and trying pitching that to someone else. But it is perfectly normal to chase. Um, I mean, Lily, you've got examples of chasing, like, five times before they've gone yes we'll take all these ideas yeah this always happens to me um that i'll send a list of ideas to one editor that regularly commissions me and they i don't hear anything and i chase and i chase and i chase and then i think oh they don't they don't like any of them i get ready to start pitching elsewhere and then suddenly they get back to me and say yeah we'll take all five when can we do them by and it yeah and it's a nightmare um how long do you leave between each chase? Um, are we talking a couple of days, a week? It, it depends if it's timely or not. 
I mean, most of the stuff I do is evergreen or not not massively timely. I probably would leave. I would if it, it was a new editor that I was pitching to. I'd leave it a week. If it's one that I know quite well and I know they need a bit of a nudge, um, I might just leave it three or four days. One trick you can try as well is to chase them at different times of day to try and work out when they're most responsive. So it might be first thing in the morning, it might be eight o'clock in the morning, or it might be towards the end of the day, like half three, four. That might be the time when they're sitting down and responding to things. So try chasing at different times. Um, different days of the week as well um, but you know also be ready to move on if if you've chased three times and you've not heard anything take it somewhere else and would you um in your follow-up email like when you're chasing them would you sort of say you know oh, I sent you an email last week uh, but didn't get a reply so here I am again or would you just sort of what start I do afresh is I would say I'm just following up on my email from last week um in case you've got it, it's been lost in your inbox, here's the pitch again. And I copy and paste it and put it in again. Again, it's about making it as easy as possible. Don't expect them to go hunting around for your previous email. Just put in a, like, a few words, like to say that this is like a follow-up on previous email, here's the pitch again. And then put it in again so it's there in front of them. And if it is something that's really timely and so needs, like you need an answer because the opportunity... For- to do that story is going to pass then you know send a follow-up and say um I just wanted to double check if you'd seen this and if there was any interest because um because of the timely nature if I don't hear from you I you know I'm going to pitch elsewhere kind of email politely because you know you kind of want to make the point that if you're going to want this story you, you need to pay attention to it now because otherwise there's no point yeah you can give them deadlines it's fine to say if I don't hear back from you within, you know, forty-eight hours, I'll I'll take this pitch somewhere else, um, and that's fine. It's about and again, it's just about making it concise and scannable with any of this kind of you know communication. Make it as easy as possible. What tips would you have for that? How can you make it sort of as impactful as possible at, at first sight? Um, I think your email subject heading. You need to have a think about what you're putting in that so again if I'm following up I will put in capital letters follow up colon (laughs) and then I'll put in (laughs) the headline of the the pitch again um and yeah and again it's just about being succinct okay uh we've got another listener's question for you guys Hi, Jobs Board. It's Clara. I've got a question for you. So if in one tax year you've done work as a freelancer, as a payee employee and as a full time employee, how on earth are you supposed to do your taxes? Okay, so um, I mean, I would fall into this category because I have um, my job at Sheffield Hallam University. I'm kind of on payroll, Um, but I basically as soon as you earn more than a thousand pounds think it is a year from self-employment from freelancing you need to register as self-employed to register as a sole trader that's the simplest way to do it. it's really simple just go on the hmrc website and that just means that at the end of that tax year you would need to fill out a self-assessment form and as part of that self-assessment form you know you've got all your details from your p60 and your employed work and there's a section 
on the form where you fill in your employed work and you've already paid your tax on that and you're just kind of filling in the form and then in addition to that you fill in your kind of self-employed your freelance earnings um, and expenses and then um, they calculate overall what else you need to pay on top of the tax that you've already paid okay well I hope that answers your question Clara it was slightly Greek to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean the thing is this is a really big um, kind of area it's one of the biggest uh, chapters we have in our book freelancing for journalists because you know there's a lot to kind of say about it but yeah um, if you have done work self-employed work that's added up to more than a thousand pounds in a year you need to fill in a self-assessment form yeah and just ring up the tax office that's the first thing I did when I started doing a little bit of work on the side um was I just rang up HMRC and just said what on earth do I need to do and they're really really helpful you might have to wait for two hours on hold before you get through um but once you get through they will talk you through it that's that's kind of the best thing to probably do in the first instance okay so that's our uh, advice section of this dual cast over and in a moment we're going to talk about a new work experience initiative which could help you gain some valuable insight into a journalist career gain some new skills but first of all it's time to see how our guests cvs are looking as we play play your cv right yes ollie thank you for that introduction uh, every week here on jobs board we like to scan the cvs of our guests so irrespective of whether you use a jobs board cv database recruiter or apply to a company directly it's highly likely that for big places that your cv will be analyzed by a machine before it gets human eyes set upon them so even then it may only reach a person if the system uh, deems it good enough and a match to their search so these machines are often called applicant tracking systems or ats short and it makes lives easier for the hiring managers but potentially a lot harder for us mere mortals so the jobs board machine scores you against more than 50 checks and it gets you a score out of 100 and you can always see our leaderboard updated on our twitter at jobs board so a quick recap before we subject lily's and emma's cv that they've kindly sent to us here's a quick recap of where our leaderboard is we have we have decided to throw ourselves off after Bryony reached the top. Yes, after reaching the top, I thought I would gracefully bow down and take myself off the leaderboard. We, Brian and I reached the top and had to stop. And that's so uh, on first place is Sammy on with 77 points. Second place is Ollie Roberts on 75. Third place is Ayush with 70. Bear is on fourth place with 66 and bringing up the rear is Ollie Smith in fifth place with 60 points so Lily and Emma how do you think your CVs will fare and where do you think you'll end up on our leaderboard oh I've been dreading this (laughs) I mean I have no idea I can't even remember I'm trying to think the last time I will have formally sent my CV to apply for a job because I've been freelance for so long I've been freelance since 2006 so even though I have used my CV in that time for kind of, you know, you know, if I'm kind of reaching out to a new editor, that kind of thing, in terms of formally applying, yeah. So I've got no. This is going to be very strange. I yeah, I've got no idea about kind of how that would work because I'm usually targeting it, targeting it to an individual, and um, we've had discussion. So, mm. 
Well, I know that um, you both have sort of tailored your CVs specifically for this, maybe the reasons you just said. Um, what, what, uh, what kind of adjustments have you made or how have you tried to sort of second guess? I, I haven't. I just scanner, updated it. it. That's all I did. Um, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I basically I have a CV for various different things, but whatever it is, I always um, have a new one. So I change it for every single thing. So so there might be freelance work that I apply for um, where I need a CV, but I will tailor it to that one application. And it, to be honest, it's more informal. It's like Emma says, it's like an editor wants to see your, your CV, but I will always tailor it. So all I did when I, I looked at this was I just updated it. Um, there are a couple of things that weren't on there that I thought perhaps should be. Although in retrospect, I don't think our two books um my, sorry my two books one with emma is on are on there um so yeah i i only i updated it but mine is yeah oh god no i'm just dreading this <laughs> i'm dreading this because <laughs> i did a long i did a long twitter thread about what people should have on their cvs after i looked at those 70 odd cvs and it picked up quite a lot of traction so if my cv does badly <laughs> I'm just gonna go and hide in the corner. I mean, I did. I did have yeah. a look at the formatting of mine. Kind of made sure that, like, you know, there weren't any columns. I kind of tried to make it as simple to. I was trying to think of if I, yeah, was a machine, how I would read this. Um, well, as we know, machines hate columns. Yeah. So I, I did have some columns. I took that out. Um, I did. Um, the other thing that I I don't actually know because all my, I have lots and lots of URLs in there, but they're all embedded. Like, is it on words? Because that that reads nicely, but I don't yeah. know how Machine looks at that. So yeah, me too. Oh, this is going to be very interesting. So we'll go with Lily's first. <laughs> so uh, just a quick recap on how um, these machines read them is what they do is they convert every single line. So whether you've got two, three, four, five columns pictures whatever weird groovy graphics on there it will all convert that all onto text onto one line um so it often means that if you've got two or three columns that you may that the machine thinks you've you've concocted this really jumbled up sentence whereas if if you're a human and you're looking at it all very prettily um it'll look very different uh, so we'll pop lilies in first and we'll see so Lily, out of 100, your CV has scored 68. So Ooh. it means that you're fourth place on our leaderboard. Okay. Right. It's, it's not, yeah, it could have been worse. Could have been worse. It could, yeah, it could have been worse. You could, you could be Ollie Smith. So, you know. So um, it does really like that your CV has been updated recently. Uh, bits of software will look at how um, regularly, uh, sorry, how when was the last time that this document was uh, modified um, because old CVs tend to get deprioritized in machines. So it likes that. It also loves that how it's got your full name and CV as the title of the document itself. Also likes that you've got no more than two pages and that you've got a good amount of words on there. Um, it recommends, uh, well, this bit of software recommends that you should have between 350 and 800 words in your CV document. It likes how you've got your profile, and very rarely, um, it doesn't tend to pick up on these, but um, the actual profile on the document. But it likes yours, and it can find it 
on yours. So a big congrats there. Um, and it also can find your job titles. So a couple of areas to possibly improve on for a robot that is possibly not the most cleverest of all things is um, it doesn't, it's struggling to detect your, um, some of your title headings, which aren't standardized. So for example, on your CV, you've got the title selection of cuttings instead mm-hmm. of possibly what would be regularly on a CV as job history or employment or something like that. Largely, um, it can't seem to find and analyse your education on here. So yeah, has... I knew that would come up. And Exactly. So and unfortunately on this as a result, um, because it, it isn't on there, it's marked you down on another on a broad range of elements such as not finding your grades and that you've not analysed. Does it recognise the fact I've got my PhD on there? Um, it doesn't actually bring it up <laughs> on there. So um, I think possibly one thing... But this is that whole thing of, obviously, your PhD is useful, but the, to the people that you're probably sending this off, it's not so much as a, like, the, the most important element of this. So it's like, what, how much real estate on your on your CV do you give it? Um, I'll, I'll obviously give you a, a, a PDF document of all of this feedback. Um, <laughs> but another thing that it does pick up on, but I think it's because of the style, what you just said, of your CV, is it's more links-based is it's um, not really picking up many personal descriptors and act- action words of mm-hmm. yourself. Um, and the uh, another thing that it does pick up on is um, there's possibly a bit too much white space, but that's because most of them are, um, obviously your CV is like your heading of the um, article title and then it linked. So that's possibly one thing to look at. Um, but obviously <laughs> it's a machine that uh, <laughs> that it's not no- necessarily that you're going to 100% agree with. So what do you think to those comments? Um, I knew the education would come up because I, I talked about um, that to Emma before we came on. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, nobody cares what my A-level and GCSE results are. That's why I don't put them on CVs. But I can understand if you're starting out. I mean, you probably need to have your English and maths on there. Um, whereas for me, my cuttings are actually the most important thing. Um, so that's why I have my cuttings at the top. Um, so yeah, I can understand why it's done that, but I, I, I completely disagree <laughs> and I won't be changing it, um, but, um, fair enough, fair enough. yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it, it's interesting. It is interesting. And I think if I was, was applying for a job, um, I would, I would probably change it, but at the moment for what I use it for, um, I find it's effective. And to be honest, I don't think I'm ever going to be applying for a job anyway because i'm quite happy being freelance yeah i suspect my issues are probably going to be very similar to lily's because i think there's probably a way there's a reason why we kind of put our cvs together in the way we have right so a quick a quick recap so lily is currently on 68 uh currently at fourth place so emma where do you think do you think you'll be higher or lower she'll be higher um, I don't know. I mean, those like the education, those things that we, you've kind of already highlighted, and I was worried about hyperlinks as well. Like, if that's actually gonna, because I think that's quite useful to a human individual, but is a robot just gonna go? Don't know. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I think it probably be quite similar. Right. Well, we'll pop it in. So. Please. <laughs> so, 
So <laughs> Emma's CV got 62. Ooh. So oh. Oh. Sixth place on our leaderboard, which is below Lily. Well, someone's got to be. Tell me then, what did it like? Uh, well, well, we'll start. We'll start with the start with the good points, positives first. Um, so you had similar positives to uh, Lily's, such a good file size, um, age of the document, name of the document. Unlike Lily's, it is happy with the white space to text ratio on your uh, CV. Um, it believes it's highly readable with a low amount of glue words, such as on the in of what. Um, and that it, it doesn't take um, a century to read your CV um, and it's a good time. So a couple of improvements. It believes you've got more than four different font sizes and more than four different font colours on your CV. And now looking at this, I think it's probably because of it the colour of your hyperlink. Yeah, yes. So this is quite uh, one thing that um, we have this discussion on that uh, particular things on sizes it thinks that um, it counts those as two different fonts where it's actually, I think this is what I've come to the conclusion, even though it may be the same Helvetica, even whether you made it bigger or and sometimes bold, I think that sometimes it, it thinks it's a completely different font. So uh, I think uh, Emma's going to quibble that in the, uh, uh, possibly get it to uh, get it remarked. Um, I mean, I think we can probably just say <laughs> that machines are stupid. <laughs> I think we can actually, yeah, we can draw that conclusion. But they are unfortunately necessary. And used frequently. We need to we need to work out the formula this to outsmart true. them. This is true. I mean, if it's just changing some fonts, that's quite a simple thing to do, isn't it? So, but um, broadly on the CV Emma, which it had the most issue with, is almost what um, Lily CV had issue with with their education. It's for some reason struggling to find your jobs. So as a result, it's penalising for not only not finding your job title, but also the company name. And oh, I did wonder about that because, um, because I had the jobs, I had like an about me and then the jobs under that kind of in a, and I wondered if it might struggle to find yeah. those. Um, I mean, the other thing is, because I've been freelance now since 2006, like there are jobs on there but it's kind of a list of publications that I've worked for. So maybe that's kind of not in its formula. It's not yeah, you've not had a job for 14 years. I've got a massive list of publications that I've worked for as a freelance journalist. But if it's just looking for a list of jobs and job titles, I mean, there are four on there, but it obviously didn't find them. But I think, you know, it's safe to say I'm never going to apply for a job, so... <laughs> I'm institutionalised as working for myself now. I don't think I could cope with working for an organisation. So. On that subject, actually, yeah, is that is that how you kind of feel about freelancing? <laughs> Excuse me, voice gone. I love I love freelancing. I would never go back. I mean, I have a part time job. I'm an associate lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University. That's kind of like a zero hours kind of contract. But I'd never, I would never go back to working for one organisation. And I get offers all the time for the for people that I freelance for. You know, we're hiring an editor. Can you come do this? No, because it, I just love the variety and being in charge of, you know, what I do and how I manage my, my time and my life. And I don't think I could. You ever like go you back. like the autonomy. Yeah, Lily, is that how you feel? <clears throat> Sorry. That's yeah, definitely emotional, but actually, we just <laughs> 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 yeah, um, cracking up here, guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I left a full-time job um, that was very well paid. <laughs> to go into freelancing um and a lot of uncertainty um because I just didn't like the kind of pressure of being in a job 
and I wanted to be able to do my own thing. I wanted my own flexibility um, and I wanted to be doing things that were interesting, that interested me. Um, and, you know, this whole freelancing for journalists, that you know, we've been doing a lot on this year. We wouldn't be able to do any of that um, if we were in jobs. So I can't see myself going back. In fact, I've just given up some shift work, some regular shift work, because I just I just couldn't stand working for someone else again. It just it just ah uh, you know, <laughs> I just, it just being in that kind of strict, you know, you do you work you start work at this time, you end at this time, you get a lunch hour at this time. It just doesn't work for me anymore. I just that's not how I operate. Um, so I'm. Yeah, I'm a free spirit. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're painting this kind of quite hippie picture of ourselves as free spirits. I can't, <laughs> I can't be, you know, it's not that we're actually at our desk, you know, more than eight hours every day working really hard, <laughs> but it's just that we need that. It's just we can go for a, you know, two-hour run in the middle of the day if we feel like it, and we do. Nice. Well, it's time to look at some alternate careers for you two. Uh, if you ever get fed up freelancing, feel like a change. So we do this every week on the podcast and we're looking for possible uh, non-journalism career paths that our guests could consider taking and we're going to ask them to choose one of them. So this week we've got two guests on and we've got four jobs. Uh, you mentioned running, Lily. So I tried to find a position which uh, incorporated running. Struggle, I'm going to be honest with you, but I did find a shift runner position with a well-known pizza company. <laughs> so um, as a full-time crew member, you will be passionate about customer service, quality, um, and driving, it says, because uh, you'll be delivering the pizzas. Um, they're looking for someone who um, could be an in-store team member, the benefits include free uniform, um, discount on products, um, a food allowance. So do you do you like pizza, Lily? Um, the, the problem with me is that I don't eat dairy. So unless it's a vegan oh. pizza, uh. which you do get. So, yeah, it might not be the best. Oh, no. I've written it here. Um, so, yeah, moving swiftly on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I'll pitch this uh, towards Emma. Um, okay. So, uh, are you feeling particularly in the festive spirit? Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's a> no. <laughs> but I do like. I do get into the Christmas spirit, but I'm not one. I'm not one of those people who kind of puts the tree up in September. Okay, that's fair. We could, we could, we've probably got some scope here to uh, work with. So uh, I was just thinking it's coming up to Christmas. You might be thinking, oh, I want to dress up. Uh, so I, I found a job as a Christmas elf. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can be, take part in the magical experience for our visitors. Uh, it's a pre-booked experience. So I'm guessing you'll be all masked up um, and then you'll be helping people <laughs> for up to one hour enjoy these sessions. Um, and, but, <laughs> Farmer Christmas land. I just imagine I just imagined an elf in I mean, a face. As mask. a journalist, I'm immediately thinking, yeah, I'll take this gig and then I'll sell stories when it all goes completely wrong. Because all those kind of Christmas winterland things in a field, they never work out. Like people sell the tickets and then they're just irate because 
you know, it's not what was promised. It's like one kind of sad looking Santa in a field somewhere. I'm, I'm right enjoying this it. undercover so, story that you've got that you might have here as a scoop. Yeah, I take that as a potential for, yeah, a good Christmas scoop. Okay, so Lily, you don't eat dairy. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> um, do you like seafood? I do, actually. Do you like oysters? Mm, I'm not... <laughs> my least favorite right um, <laughs> when we've not picked good ones for lily we're gonna have to pick another one um well i've got here <laughs> it just says we're looking for a talented oyster t- oyster shucker to join the team at this century old oyster bar wow and previous oyster shucking experience is an asset but it doesn't say that it's necessary right yeah. Not sadly convinced. No. I don't think you're convinced either. No, no, I'm not. I think I'd prefer the pizza job. Yeah. Come <laughs> <laughs> on. I'd rather. It's <laughs> down the um, food route. The thing is, I'm not really a theatrical person. Um, I see. So being put on display and eating publicly, yeah, sounds like a bit of a weird dream or something. Um. Yeah. In that case, I'm going to give you a third job because okay. I feel we've not found it yet for you. <laughs> you might not like being on display, but would you like to quietly and unassumingly make the world a better place? I think we all would, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think we all would. So I've got a job here uh, as a floating island builder. Ooh. And this is a company that makes, as I said, floating islands. So floating ecosystems to be sort of let loose on the sea and create a habitat for marine life and improve water quality in various places Mm. and you would be sort of creating these and and well building them really and there's a few you know i mean physically fit and able you're a runner so that's one tip um hardworking, positive attitude, good team player. These are all things journalists can do. Yeah. The other thing is I do open water swimming as well. So, oh, there you go. This so this does sound right up my street. I can imagine you doing that. Yeah. Swimming with the fishies. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think out of the three. Um, okay. In fact, out of all of them. Um, that, yeah, that definitely sounds like a winner. Nice. Get my wetsuit out for that one. Lovely. Yeah. And um, Bryony, I think you've got one more for Emma. Yeah, Emma, I've got another one for you. I'm assuming you've heard of the um, well-known fictional butler, Alfred. Yes. <laughs> well, how do you fancy becoming your own living butler? There, there's, there's, there's a house in um, London. They're looking for a butler. Um, they've got two, <laughs> two children. Um, they've got a they've got a team, a house manager, a chef, nannies, drivers, housekeepers, and they'd like to add a butler to their collection. <laughs> and um, you will be doing um, meal times, mostly buffet service. Not really sure how that works during coronavirus, but um, buffet in buffet a in a family service. home, <laughs> family home, um, <laughs> clearing away and assisting your chef, keeping the kitchen clean and tidy, some housekeeping, greeting guests, packing, unpacking suitcases. Uh, sounds more like a hotel than a than a family home, but yeah. um, it's uh, six days a week. You get to live in as well, accommodation provided, and there's also some family uh, travel overseas in the school holidays. So you might get an opportunity to go abroad. 
Okay, I'm going to say a big, fat, gigantic, huge, could not be bigger, no. <laughs> that was a nightmare. I already have to do all that stuff and it's and making meals and, oh, man, I, I'm the one who wants staff. I need staff. I don't need to be that staff. So, yeah, I am, I'm definitely going to go for the Christmas elf and I'm going to get myself a big exclusive in the Daily Mail when it all goes wrong. <laughs> well, my job suggestions were terrible this week, weren't they? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that's all we've got time for on this special episode of Jobs Board and Freelancing for Journalists. If you're listening to Freelancing for Journalists, why not give us a follow on Twitter at Jobs Board and listen to our podcast as well. We've got previous episodes uh, that we've done just on our own, which are also good. Um, and yeah, likewise, uh, listeners of Jobs Board, make sure you check out the Freelancing for Journalists podcast. It is full of really, really good tips. Uh, and Lily and Emma both do great work, sort of not just on a podcast, but on social media in book form, in seminar form, and they've got a lot of content out there to help you try and find some shifts. Yeah, you can find everything about us and all those different bits at um, freelancingforjournalist.com. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.